Hello, listeners and citizens of Broncos country. My name is Adan Diaz, and welcome to another episode of Broncos Talk. Now, I do apologize for not uploading an episode last week, uh, seeing as how everything changed with the whole COVID and Broncos and Patriots thing. I kind of felt like maybe, uh, you know, a little break was maybe needed, you know, to kind of gather my thoughts. And I was more frustrated than anything. And I really... I, I'm, I'm sure I wasn't the only one that was feeling that way. So I thought I'd take the whole week off and, you know, kind of gather my thoughts, as I said, and kind of take in everything that's happened the last, uh, since the last time I was on this podcast. And a lot has happened <laughs> since then, from everything from Melvin Gordon to the Broncos being underdogs going into that game, and then the Broncos coming out as winners. So once again, your Denver Broncos are now two and three, and the defense is looking really, really good. And I know there's been a lot of talks about, especially from the Patriots side, saying you know it's, it was unfair because you know Cam just came back from uh, COVID and the team hadn't gotten practice because of uh, COVID outbreaks and they've had to shut down. But hey, it's tough shit, you know. The, the Patriots were playing a team that's uh, one of the most injured teams in the NFL. You don't hear nobody from Denver bitching about it, especially if Denver would have lost that game because then it would have been uh, the Patriots fans and everybody talking shit. So let's just get that out there, okay? This Denver team went in there more motivated than anything. So, you know, kudos to that defense for going out there and putting a uh, hurt on Cam Newton. If Bill Belichick was that uncertain about Cam Newton coming in, he shouldn't have put him in. He should have went with one of his other backups if he wasn't sure that Cam Newton couldn't get the job done because he hadn't practiced in two weeks. It's just as simple as that. But let's face it, folks. You guys saw what happened with Stidham and um, and Hoyer. They, they got smoked by Kansas City. So they really didn't have any go-to option. And... New England has got more more problems than just not being able to practice and, and whatnot. They they have their own issues, and the Broncos were the the wake up call for them to say, hey, we 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 got to do something because for the first time in a long time, the Patriots are two and three, almost as the Broncos. So anyway, let's just start off by saying this was a great game, okay? And I know. I know Drew Locke didn't put up any touchdowns, but it was a great game because this was a game that everybody that's not a Broncos fan pegged the Broncos to lose. They thought they were going to go into New England and that they were going to get steamrolled by Cam Newton because he came back and Stephon Gilmore came back and, and all this stuff. And it just didn't happen. And see, this is exactly why I say never, ever give up on your team. Even even if we were not as great as where we are now, okay? And I say great because I think this team is on the way up. Like, like for example, that really shitty team we beat last time, which was the, the Jets. Even if we were as shitty as the Jets, I would still come on this podcast and say to you folks, keep hope alive. Try to find some light in a shitstorm. And believe me, if you're a Jets fan, you're trying to find any fucking light coming through that shitstorm. But thankfully, we're not. You know, thankfully, we're not Falcons fans. Thankfully, we're not Texans fans. We are Broncos fans. And even though we've we've been dealt all these injuries, you know, no Sutton, no Von Miller, no... Well, I guess you could say Jarrell Casey to a point, but Jarrell Casey hasn't really put up while he was wearing a Broncos uniform didn't do any stellar performances you know be more worried if Shelby Harris goes down or if Mike Purcell goes down because those two guys on the front line have been beyond amazing (laughs) okay so let's talk about some highlights from the game now actually before we get into that let's talk about one big thing that's been going around Broncos country for the last uh I don't know if I want to say week, week or so. And that's Drew Locke. Okay. I don't know where these, if you can even call them fans, where the hell they're coming from. 
talking about Drew Lock sucks. Talking about replacing Drew Lock with Trevor Lawrence. You know, tell him basically tank the team. First of all, you don't tank at all. Even if you're the shittiest team in the NFL, you don't tank. Because when you tank, or if you start giving that idea or intention of tanking just for a higher draft pick, you're basically letting down a whole group of people. It's not one person. Okay? So you don't want to do that. And second of all, Drew Locke hasn't gotten his fair share of starts. Okay? Every time he seems to be having a hot hand or something, an injury comes along. Or a setback comes along. He hasn't been able to get the breaks that guys like Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes have gotten. You know, and when they started out a couple years ago. And it, it, it just sucks. Because every time Drew Locke seems or tries to build momentum, something happens to fuck it up. And when that happens, it's a setback. And when that setback happens, you get more... For some reason, you get more people that try to hold him back and say, you know, oh, he's a bust. You know, it's not working. And I don't know where that comes from. I don't know how people can jump to that conclusion. I I honestly don't. And I I wish I can understand just for five minutes how people can can think something like that and just, just give up on somebody. It makes no fucking sense. Do people not realize how long we've been walking through this quarterback desert since the retirement of Peyton Manning? How many quarterbacks we've gone through? And for people to just go around and sit and say Drew Locke sucks or, you know, replace Drew Locke with, with Trevor Lawrence and literally go back to square one, y- you can't, like, no, man, you just don't do that. You're supposed to have faith in your quarterback until your quarterback gives you an actual full season or signs that they're not the one. And so far, we haven't gotten that from Drew Locke. Drew Locke is out there and he's trying. Okay, he's trying. Keep in mind, he doesn't have his his number one wide receiver in Cortland Sutton. Noah Fant for this game was hurt. So he went in there with Tim Patrick, Deshaun Hamilton, who we'll get into about later on in this podcast, uh, Albert O, and uh, uh, Philip Lindsay. Okay, these are, and, and Jerry Judy. I almost forgot Jerry Judy. These were his weapons going into uh, New England and so far none of these guys have been able to be on the field consistently and try to get um, you know some some chemistry going since week one because something happens where one person gets hurt and then they get rearranged or they get moved and it's, it's just been a revolving door of the offense trying to do uh, trying to make something happen now, some of that blame on the no touchdowns in four quarters in New England falls on Pat Shermer's feet, and that's understandable. But you have to think about this, folks. Remember where we were a year ago with Scangarello, okay? And this was while we didn't even have Drew Locke. This is, by this time, I think we were still dealing with Joe Flacco. This is an offense that took almost till the end of the season with Drew Locke with his current weapons in, uh, and he had Sutton still at the time, and, and Noah Fant, it took them almost that long, the, almost the entire season, to get a groove going when Drew Locke won all those games. And he only lost one, and I think that was the one against Kansas City. So it took that long for the offensive coordinator to find a groove, find a way where Drew Locke can be comfortable throwing where some plays work better than others. And I think that that's the current route where we're going, okay? Now, I wanted to be optimistic at the at the beginning of the season, and, you know, I, I wanted Drew Locke to just start throwing the football and, you know, for bombs and guys catching 50, 60-yard passes. But that's not going to happen every game. We have to be realistic. We have a run game to worry about. We have, you know, tight ends that we can throw in on the slot or, or out on the corners to to worry about. So this offense is going to be fine. And people have to realize that this offense is not 100%. And it's not going to be 100% until 2021 when our biggest wide receiver comes back next year. So the fact that these boys went out there and they put on a show and they got as close as the red zone, I think that's a win. 
because what the Denver offense was known for in years past was just punting the ball. Half of the time, they never even got to the fucking red zone. You know, it was either incomplete, incomplete, overthrown, or stuffed. And then they had to punt the ball away. And that was when we had, you know, guys like Brock Osweiler in his later years and Paxton Lynch and Trevor Simeon and uh, Case Keenum and Joe Flacco last year. So people need to, you know, kind of ease up off of Drew Locke. Cut this guy some slack. You know, he got us at least to the red zone or close to the red zone. Not every drive was in the red zone, but he got us close enough to field goal range where Brian, uh, Brian, Brandon McManus, you know, McMoney got in there, went six for six and put up points without Drew Locke's movement of getting him in the field goal range. Broncos lose that game easily. They lose, especially since the Patriots were the only team to put up a touchdown that game. And that's all they would have needed. So keep that in mind. Okay? When you start going around criticizing Drew Locke. And secondly, Drew Locke had four passes, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, that should have been caught for touchdowns, but they went through the intended target's hands. One of them was Albert O. One of them was Jared Judy. One of them was De- uh, uh, Deshaun Hamilton. And I forget who the other one was. But... Four catches where the pass was on the money, but the intended target did not catch. So if those guys catch that ball, Drew Locke has four touchdowns and is probably one of the uh, AFC's player of the week. And the Broncos stomp out the New England because then New England gets more desperate and tries to throw instead of forcing Cam to run out of the pocket. So these are things that people have to consider. And the thing that kills me is that this is the shit that people talk about and they didn't even watch the fucking game. They didn't even watch the game. They watch highlights or they just go rambling off of what somebody else says and then they make all these stupid statements. So, you know, I love Broncos country. I honestly do. But in in, in Drew Locke's defense, if you didn't watch this game and you didn't do your homework on this team, then shut the fuck up. <laughs> just It's just that simple. Just shut the fuck up. Don't make stupid opinions. Even if they are, if if in their head you think it sounds relevant. Don't say fire John Elway. Don't say fire Vic Fangio. Don't say, you know, get rid of Drew Locke. No, don't say any of that shit if you don't bother to watch the games and you don't bother to do your research before you open your mouth with an opinion. Because you have to remember an opinion doesn't mean you're necessarily right. Just like if you're listening to this podcast, you might not agree with everything that I say. And that's totally fine. But I like to think that as I'm speaking to you and as you're listening to this, I actually watched the game and I actually did my homework before I came out here and started running my mouth. So, <laughs> you know, that's that's just something I've been meaning to say for a very long fucking time, especially if you follow the Broncos on social media. You see these stupid ass comments all the fucking time. And it's crazy. It's crazy. And I think that this... I, I got it totally off track there. But I think that this offense is going to be fine. You know, it was great to see Philip Lindsay back out there. It, it really was. And with Melvin Gordon being uh, uh, temporarily gone, this was a game that Philip Lindsay needed to, to get out there. And he got over his 100 yards. And he made a statement. And he's basically, he's basically making almost the same statement that Gordon made when Lindsay was gone after week one. Even though Lindsay didn't get into the end zone, he still made his case known that Philip Lindsay is just as relevant as he's ever was. Maybe even more. I love the guy, the Colorado kid. He's awesome. But with that being said, I still want to see what him and Melvin Gordon together can do. Because I think those two guys put together can be a fantastic duo. Each of them have their own strengths and each of them have their own weaknesses. But if they work together... They can help counteract their weaknesses and try to find a middle point where they can be just fucking great. The only thing is, is that, you know, Melvin Gordon just got to stay out of fucking trouble, man. It's 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 not that hard. Uh, and going back to his little DUI thing, it's like, bro, you you did all that work the last two, three weeks while Lindsay was gone. You build up some credibility and then you just shit on it 
by getting caught driving drunk. Of all the fucking things for you to do, you get caught driving drunk. It, it, it made no sense to me when I first read it, and it still doesn't make any sense as I'm speaking to you folks about it right now because the man can afford an Uber. The, the team has a car service, if I'm not mistaken, that'll come and get you and take you wherever the fuck you want to go. And instead, you choose to drive intoxicated. And it, it, it not only does it make you look bad, but you hurt the team. Because now, you're obviously going to look towards a, a, a suspension up to two to three games. You're, you, all the credibility that you got during those two, three games, just you just threw it out the fucking window. And you have to start all over. And now, when you do come back from your suspension, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be, unfortunately, at a viable time when the Broncos are going to need every little bit of help they can get on the, you know, on the ground, because I still don't trust Royce Freeman. I'm sorry. My feelings for him are currently what I had for Devontae Booker uh, last year. And I, I just think that he, Royce Freeman is not the answer. And I'll be surprised if he's still on this football team come next season. But if Melvin Gordon can just stay out of trouble and keep his head in the game, just like every other Broncos fan on this team is doing, him and Phillip Lindsay can be, they can be a problem for defenses. But the key is to, <laughs> you know, stay out of trouble and do what you're fucking told. And I can't make it any clearer than that. But anyway, Phillip Lindsay. He's he's going he's doing great. I have a I have a feeling he's gonna be in an end zone sooner than later. Hopefully this coming week against the Chiefs, and this is his time to shine. I don't know if Melvin Gordon will be back uh, uh, from his illness. It's not COVID related, from what we it's, uh, he said he had strep throat. So I don't know what the uh, healing time is for something like that. But he should be at practice soon, if not today. Either way, uh, hopefully his suspension doesn't come at a time when the Broncos need a win. So that's my two cents on on Melvin Gordon. Uh, Philip Lindsay, uh, let's see what else we're going to be talking about. We can talk about uh, uh, Tim Patrick. I'm going to call him Teddy for some reason. (laughs) What a guy. Let me just say Tim Patrick has stepped up and so far this man has earned a contract with this team next year because... You know, we all were expecting Jerry Judy to come in and fill the shoes in for when Corlin Sutton go, went down. But let's be honest, Jerry Judy, he's, he's still a rookie. He's still got a lot to learn. And rookies aren't always that fantastic in their very first years in the NFL. Some do have great first rookie seasons. Some struggle a bit and have, you know, rough around the edges. They need time to develop. And that's exactly what we have with Jerry Judy. So he's going to come along. Eventually, he'll, he'll be fine. Tim Patrick has just been amazing these last two games. And if he can just keep up this production and just be that go-to guy for Drew Locke and make these amazing plays and catches, I I don't see why this man would not be on this team next year because he has for sure earned his spot on this team. Even if it's at wide receiver three, I'll, I'll take that. But he's got some stiff competition. Uh, I know right now he's shining because, uh, you know, K.J. Hamler is out with a hamstring. And hamstring issues, can they, they can be lingering problems, especially when you think they're they're all healed up. And then the players get out back on there in the field, and then it starts bothering them again. So I do expect Tim Patrick to come back on this team with a, a nice, nice, fair contract because the Broncos cannot afford to let him walk in free agency. Let's be honest. And um, Deshaun Hamilton, this, I I know I've talked about this before on this podcast and, you know, his whole, I I don't even know why he's still on this team. I honestly don't. And it's a miracle he's still on this team and a miracle he's still going to be on this team towards the end of the season. But this man just, instead of showing signs of improvement, every game he just shows more signs on why the team should move on from him because it makes no sense i mean that catch he finally gets past one of the best cornerbacks in the nfl and stefan gilmore all he has to do is grab the ball 
hold it and just try to make an attempt to dive into the end zone and it bounces off his chest and I just don't understand how how you let a pass like that just get past you I, I mean he, he's not hurt he's been almost every practice and yet he keeps making these these he keeps I, I, as you can tell I, I'm just so disillusioned I yelled at my TV when I saw that because I was just like come on man it's how can how how can you give up a, 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 a great pass like that and just I, I don't get it and I'm I, I think it's time for him to go it it honestly is I, I mean if you I think he should ride the bench worst case right now you know put in somebody like Tyree Cleveland put in anybody that can give this man try to give him some motivation you know to light a fire under his ass and say hey if you don't shape up shape up man we're shipping you out because he obviously needs it this this type that cannot keep happening you know Hamilton cannot keep getting put out there and missing these these passes that he's being paid to catch it's it's not fair to him you know and and yeah Jerry Judy also had a a missed catch too but Jerry Judy's still in his rookie season you know catching footballs for rookies it's not something that you know they solve overnight it it takes time and hopefully as the season progresses Jerry Judy gets better and making and catching those types of passes especially since the Broncos invested a first round pick in him and they went they, they put their chips on the table with Jerry Judy so hopefully he does it this isn't a lingering issue and you know it starts making people wonder if the Broncos were even right in selecting Judy over uh oh, who else was on the board uh CeeDee Lamb Ruggs was already gone so at this point, in terms of those three, I think Ruggs and, and Lamb have kind of exceeded Jerry Judy because they've had, well, CeeDee Lamb, he's going through uh, a bad phase right now, losing his quarterback. So this would probably be the time for Jerry Judy to catch up to at least CeeDee Lamb and maybe even pass him in the next coming weeks in terms of uh, playability and, and uh, just just showing what, what Jerry Judy can do. But uh, Albert O also had he had one go through his hand but again rookies you know and hopefully when Noah Fant comes back this isn't something that you know puts pushes Albert O back into a you know we'll call you when we need you type of thing because I think that Noah Fant and Albert O in there can be really really dangerous they can be a, a dangerous combination and Nick Vanette he he needs to be cut he needs to be gone because that man has really nothing to offer. I don't know why he's still on this team. Uh, I can almost say the same thing for Jake Butt. I'm starting to think that maybe Jake Butt is injured and, you know, maybe the Broncos aren't saying anything about it because he hasn't really been on the field that much. And I, I honestly don't. I like Jake Butt more than I do Nick. But if there's no productivity coming from either one of those guys as we go towards the end of the season, it's <clears throat> excuse me it'll be i don't know it'll be a, a it shouldn't be that hard of a decision to make on trying to figure out which tight ends to keep and what tight ends not to because i mean <laughs> at this point we had more production from hireman than we do from nick vanette and jake but put together and we let hireman walk so just think about that for a second it's it just it's mind-boggling and hopefully some sense comes out of this whole thing hopefully we do get uh, Noah Fant back uh healthy uh, you know healthier than he I know he was questionable going into the game against New England but also uh, Pat Shermer with some of these calls he needs to kind of re-look at his playbook again because there were a lot of questionable calls and the fact that none of those plays in the red zone when Drew Locke was able to get us in there were able to secure a Broncos touchdown, it's kind of mind-boggling. And hopefully this is something that, uh, you know, when they look at and study the film and for the offense this week, they get, excuse me, they can kind of rearrange and try to figure out, uh, you know, a better ways where they don't put that much risk on the football in terms of losing it or, or turning it over and, you know, getting the ball into, into the end zone. But the fact that the Broncos offense went in there 
and they took on a, a sturdy defense in Bill Belichick's house. That speaks volumes, okay? And I know Drew Locke gave up two interceptions. That second, the first one, okay, I, I can give it to him because it looks like there was a miscommunication between the wide receiver and, and Drew Locke. I think Drew Locke was going one way. The, the wide receiver just kept running. It looks like he went on a deep route. But the second interception on the next drive, I have no idea why Pat Shermer would call a play like that to throw a ball that deep into double coverage. It, it, it makes no, no sense to me. It, it honestly does. If it was one-on-one, okay, I get it. You know, it's a battle for the ball. But to, to throw it into double coverage like that, and people are always quick to assume to jump on Drew Locke. But you have to remember, that call came from the offensive coordinator. So Drew Locke is only doing what's being told in his helmet to do. It's not like Drew Locke is, you know, just just does what he wants, just throws where he wants. It's No, that, that play came from... Pat Shermer so uh, you know Pat Shermer is one of the guys that you have to question in terms of uh, that interception because it's it's a it's a real head scratcher and I'm pretty sure I wasn't the only one that was sitting there thinking you know what the fuck is this guy doing why why would he tell Julak to throw it that deep into that type of coverage why a and b if you're that far up ahead why don't you just run the ball try to keep getting conversions and you know run down the clock the last thing you need to do is to tempt the Patriots and give them a fighting chance to come back and win that game and that's exactly what Pat Shermer did by throwing that ball you gave the ball back to the Patriots with uh, I think it was under four close to three minutes left and they still had I don't know if they still had their timeouts I can't remember but it it's very dangerous you you don't want to do that especially after the Patriots had just scored a touchdown not too long ago so you, that game was only six points of uh, six point differential so the new england could have easily won that game so let's just keep that in mind folks and hopefully going forward pat Shermer does a much better job of of picking these plays where he takes a chance because i i don't know if it was his call or if it was vic fangio's call to take a gamble and heaving the ball but it, when you're in a tight situation like that, it's better to just go for the win than to try to to do what what I'm guessing they were just trying to go for the the hero play. I don't know. It's it's a questionable call. I'm sure it came from Shermer. I'm sure Fangio wasn't happy with it. I'm sure Drew Locke wasn't happy with it since he's the one that threw the damn ball. But with with this game coming up against Kansas City, it's something that you can't afford to to do because if you go in there and you basically you as great as McManus was let's be honest that's not something you can go up against the Chiefs and expect them to win especially with the offense that they have you're not gonna win with just well let me rephrase that because you have to remember in the first playoff game that the Chiefs had been to when they played the Steelers they literally lost the Chris, I don't know if it was Chris Boswell, but they literally lost the field goals. So it can happen, but Patrick Mahomes and the weapons he's got right now, they're they're on a whole different level. So the risk in that case would be just too damn high, and it's not worth it. So with the game coming up, we need the offense to, you know, whether it's Lindsey punching a hole and getting into the end zone, whether it's Jerry Judy making another fantastic catch in the air and getting a touchdown, or if it's Noah Fan making another great catch and, you know, getting a touchdown. Whatever it takes the offense to do to get a touchdown, that's what we need. And these drop passes from these guys that are getting paid hundreds, thousands, if not millions of dollars to make, they have to make them and they cannot just keep dropping them because if this keeps happening then there's a problem and it's a problem that has to be issued right away because like i said this is a team that's starting to go up the defense is starting to find its shape they're starting to find their form now we just need the offense to stay healthy and you know basically get their shit together and you know find a way to gel find a way to which plays work which plays don't and get points on the board we can't always just rely on the big leg of McManus to, you know, keep getting us out of jams. So that's it for the offense. For the defense, who played a great different game, 
We're going to talk about it after we come back from this break and we hear from these fine words. And we're back. If you're just joining us, we were just talking about the highlights from the uh, Patriots and Broncos games. And the best highlights from this game uh, were definitely from the defense. I know the offense had their few moments here and there. You know, a great catch to patch up uh, uh, Tim Patrick. And a couple of runs by Philip Lindsay were pretty good, memorable highlights. But the defense, good Lord, it started giving me goosebumps and flashbacks from years before when the defense was just formidable well more so than than they are now <clears throat> but it uh, we did give a lot of the defense a lot of shit over the last couple of weeks but you know big props to uh shelby harris like once again this man the amount of batted balls he has over the, the couple of weeks so far. There's got to be an NFL record somewhere for most batted passes at the end of the season because this man is just um, just amazing with how many passes he's been able to just deflect. And uh, I don't remember the player who made the diving catch. I, I think it was Williams. I don't honestly remember off the top of my head. But, you know, kudos to that big man for sliding and catching that pass for the interception and think about this for a second and i read this on social media last night that man that defensive lineman was able to catch a pass well it wasn't necessarily a pass but he was able to catch a ball which became an interception against cam newton whereas Deshaun hamilton who gets paid to catch footballs for a living was unable to catch the one pass thrown to him just think about that for a second that's kind of fucked up when you think about it and it's funny as hell. So, you know, kudos to those guys for going out there and putting on that magnificent play. And finally, we finally got some great action from our safeties. Kareem Jackson had some really good stops this game. Uh, uh, Justin Simmons, if I'm not mistaken, was had an assist in that second interception where he hit the tight end and Bryce Callahan was able to get the ball out, out of him and for the interception. I'm not sure if that's exactly how it went down. I know I know Justin Simmons had something to do with that play. I don't know if he hit the ball out or if he... I don't know, but I know he had an assist. But anyway, this is exactly what we wanted to see from these safeties since week one. You know, And I'm glad that we were able to see it in this one. And hopefully this is these guys are on the trajectory of going back up after having a slow start these last couple of games. But... Before we continue going on to talking about the defense, let me just say that early bye weeks for some teams can be good and early bye weeks for some teams can be bad because it's, it, it hurts teams more that seem to have a momentum going. You know, like take, for example, the Packers who got steamrolled by the, the Bucks, And even though Denver lost to Tampa Bay, at least they didn't lose like that. <laughs> so... And for a team like Denver, who's got more guys hurt than anything, a uh, bye week comes in and, you know, gives your guys extra time to heal and it gives them extra time to, to motivate themselves, even though they didn't get any rest because they practice on the week that they were supposed to play and it turned into a bye week. So this was a much needed win because it gave these boys of motivation and that fire that needed to be sparked out of them that they've been looking to have since they lost to Tennessee in that week one game. And, you know, that's that loss to the Steelers sucks. That loss to uh, uh, the Bucks, that one sucks too. But you have to remember that these games that were lost, they were against three really good, currently good football teams. And that's the only silver lining you can take from that. The, the boys weren't blown out in that Tennessee game. They weren't blown out out of that Steelers game. And they weren't blown out out of that Bucks game. And that Bucks game was the worst one out of the three. Okay? Because that's the one where the offense really played like shit. And so that's a saving grace for this team. That just tells you that this team, it, it's not that they suck. And, you know, I know I've said it before about living in a world of suck, 
But that doesn't mean necessarily that this team, this team doesn't suck. This team is just trying to find their, I don't know if I want to say calling, but just, just find their place, you know, find their rhythm. Uh, okay, let's go with that. Find with find their rhythm and trying to figure out how to make this work with what they got. Okay, because this team, this especially this defense, they're not used to playing without Von Miller. The last time Von Miller was out for almost a whole season was uh, 2013 when he tore his ACL. And that was in the playoffs. And he played most of that year. Plus, he had a six-game suspension that year for uh, for uh, in performance-inducing, hand-hassing drugs or something like that. So that's the closest this team has had without playing without Von Miller. And having your star player on defense out, and we saw how lost that front-line defense was at the beginning. They didn't have that motivation. They didn't have that drive, that guy that told them that, you know, you know, hey, guys, it's, you know, we, we need to get this win. You know, come on, get in there. And you know what I think helped, too? If you follow the Denver Broncos social media, Von Miller actually came out to the practice field before the team left for New England. And even though he was in his little cart thing, I think that that was enough motivation for those guys to say, hey, you know, Von's. Even though Vaughn's not here physically, you know, Vaughn's here with us in, in spirit, and I know he's watching. And I think that was enough motivation for these guys to do something because we finally got production out of Malik Reed, a guy that I was really high on last year and who I kind of started to doubt at the start of the season. But that man was finally able to get in there. And yeah, New England did have an injury or two to their offensive line, but that, it, it, hey, that's football. If, if you know that's that's exactly why you have backups and even if the backups aren't exactly as good as the person they're replacing they need to be somewhat somewhat able to do their job even if it's not at the best of their uh the coaches uh liking or even fans so malik reed was able to get in there uh chicolo a guy that a lot of people were kind of uh, well, i wish i should say are still on the fence about even he was able to get in there and sack Cam Newton after Cam was holding the ball for what seemed like forever. He came from all the way from where he was from his position and he ran all the way in and hit Cam from behind. And it's a miracle that Cam did not fumble that football. But I know Bradley Chubb got a couple of pressures in and I think he had a sack. I'm not sure. Maybe an assisted sack. But the defense was finally able to put pressure on Cam Newton. And I know, I know, I'm pretty sure. That somewhere out there, Cam Newton was thinking he was going to win this game because he didn't have to deal with Von Miller. And I know he still has nightmares every time he sees a Broncos defensive line in front of him. And I'm pretty sure he was ecstatic. I'm pretty sure he was thinking he was going to go out there and this should be an easy win. But this isn't the Cam Newton from, you know, five years ago. And I honestly don't think we'll ever see that Cam Newton ever again because that it was just a different time. And he was on a different team, and it was just different circumstances. But the Von Miller that we have now, he's always going to be hungry. He's always going to be motivated to go out there. And for him, I I honestly think, hopefully, I'm really hoping that this Broncos team can make the playoffs, and hopefully Von can recover from his injury and you know be cleared to play so we can see something out of what we like a little preview in terms of what we can see of towards Vaughn going into 2021. But you know, that's at this point, that's just wishful thinking. <laughs> and I really hope it happens, but it's, uh, it, it, it's a great thing to see. Uh, I know uh, honey bear and uh, Alexander Johnson, they, they played, they didn't have any great like standing out plays, but they did their job. They went out there and they did exactly what they were supposed to do. New England right now, their biggest problem is they don't have a number one wide receiver. Julian Edelman, he's he's starting to show his age. Nikhil Harry, he's not as great as a, a player as they hoped when they drafted him. Uh, what was it, two years ago? Yeah, two years ago. So right now, it's just, it's either Cam Newton hands off the ball or, you know, he runs it himself. That's the best chance New England has. Then they don't really have a, a a decent tight end either. I know Izzo is probably their number one, and he almost went out with an injury. But then he gay coughed up the ball, and then I don't know if he ever hit the field after that because in you know in a Belichick team, if you fumble the ball or whatever, you get punished, <laughs> and it's not one that you really 
it's not a side of Bill you want to be on. Let's just put it that way. But this defense came out with two interceptions. And they they kept, for the most part of the game, they kept New England out of the end zone. And I know that they did give up one touchdown, and that was just a, a rushing touchdown. But giving up one touchdown for that defense, especially seeing as how people had this team looked at going into, you know, being underdogs. Because let's face it, folks, at almost every single game going forward, Denver is more than likely going to be an underdog, except maybe the one against the Jets. That's probably going to be the only game where Denver wasn't favored as an underdog. But this this New England team was was supposed to come out and they were supposed to, you know, throw the ball all over Denver and they were supposed to stomp out the Broncos. But thankfully, didn't happen. It was a whole different story. And those analysts from, I think it was from ESPN, it was like, I think it was eight of them who all went New England. Hope you guys eat a bag of dicks or something for not believing in my boys because <laughs> that's just I was really hoping for at least one person to go for Denver but apparently everybody went New England and I'm pretty sure all those nice folks came in the next day and probably looking at each other like fuck man <laughs> were we wrong or what <laughs> oh shit but anyways this um this game was definitely great. And let me also say something while we're talking about the game. A lot of people were complaining about the way Denver won. And to that, I just say, how can you complain about the way Denver won? Okay, yeah, it wasn't a great victory. It wasn't a blowout. But a win is a win. How can you not take pride in that? How is it easy for people to complain about a loss but not enjoy a win? Whether they won by one point or they won by six or they won by 30. Like, it doesn't always have to be a blowout for it to be a a legitimate win. There's no rule in the NFL book that says a, a, a football team has to win by a certain number of points in order for it to be a legitimate win. No. Fuck that. A win is a win. I mean, think about it. What would you rather prefer? A, an ugly win or a pretty loss? Or a... Um, I'm tying up on my words. Or... A game where the Denver Broncos were in the lead, but they gave up the lead and they lost by a field goal or, or, or a safety or some stupid shit like that. I mean, is that is that what fans want? Are they looking for, for, for a reason to complain that the team didn't win for a certain score? Like, is that really... Is that really a point of emphasis that I... Not only myself, but people in general, like diehard Broncos fans have to argue with other fans about because i i honestly don't see any validity in that it at all there is no reason so if you cannot get behind this team winning and everything seems to piss you off and you don't think that that win counts then let me just say whatever broncos gear you own or have like i say this every other podcast send it to me I'll find a way. I'll after I sterilize it, I'll find a way. I'll put it on my walls. I'll I'll deal with it. But these fair weather Broncos fans that are just so fucking picky about every little thing because Denver didn't win a certain way or a certain player didn't play a certain way, so let's bench him, let's trade him, let's cut him. Uh, coaches. Like no, like you don't fucking do that. We're in the I don't even want to say we're in the middle of a rebuild, but we're heading towards maybe the end of a rebuild why the fuck would you want to start cutting people and going backwards why like everybody that says they want to cut john elway get rid of him the duke of denver how can you as a football especially a broncos fan say you want to hire john elway how now granted i know john elway hasn't had the best repertoire in terms of uh picking players uh, free agents and draft picks and whatnot he's had his fair share of, of fuck-ups but at the same time, he's also had his fair share of uh, positive players, of positive draft picks, of positive signings. He helped bring another championship to Denver. Something that if we still had Vance Joseph, wouldn't we wouldn't fucking have. Not at all. Didn't happen with McDaniels. Didn't happen. With, well, it almost happened with John Fox, but it didn't happen with John Fox. So these people need to... 
I, I know I've said it already, but you know, dude, just if your opinion doesn't have any validity to it, and you're just saying stupid shit just to say stupid shit, especially if somebody calls you out when you say something stupid like fire John Elway, the Duke of Denver, the greatest quarterback in a Broncos uniform, then just shut the fuck up. It. it <laughs> I, I I don't know how to put it any any. That's not even nice. I was just putting it honestly. Just, you know, just, just shut the fuck up, do your homework, or don't be a fan at all. There's plenty of other teams out there that I'm pretty sure welcome bandwagon fans, but not, not this team. It's either you're a diehard fan from the beginning or you're a brand new fan from the start. It's just as simple as that. And I know there's going to be bandwagon fans that come in anyway, but we try not to pay attention to them because bandwagon fans, they're not loyal to a base. They're just loyal. They're just temporary. So... I, I try not to really pay any attention to them. So if you don't rep this team at all, I know I say this a lot and I know it sounds like a broken record, but honestly, I don't fucking care at this point. It, you need to, you need to be gone. But anyway, this defense has shown that they can hang with the best of them. And this game against New England should be an eye opener for Kansas City. Because I know there's, I know Kansas City has come in and they've beaten Denver the last couple of years, but there's going to be a time where Kansas City's cockiness is going to get to them, and it already has. That loss against Las Vegas really opened up their eyes and made them realize, like, hey, you know, we're the defending champs and everything, but that doesn't mean you guys are unbeatable, not by a long shot. And this division game, I like to think that our defense is way better than the Raiders. And even though our offense is still finding a way to <clears throat> to get their, their, their shit going, this Broncos team can definitely beat Kansas City. They definitely can. And the best way to beat Kansas City is to keep Mahomes off the playing field. If they can force three and outs, if the offense can eat up clock and not leave the field with at least a touchdown... Worst case scenario, three points. Denver wins that game. Hands down. And as formidable as the the Kansas City offense, it with you know Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey, and they got Le'Veon Bell coming, and they have Edwards. Uh I can't pronounce that man's full name. Uh Claire. But this is a game that if the Broncos win. And can be three and three, they can literally turn the heads of other uh, teams and realize, hey, you know, Denver's on to something. Denver's looking like a playoff contender again. And if Denver wants to hang with those big boys come the postseason, they have to take down the defending champs. This is a must win game. This win against New England opened up a lot of eyes for people. Uh, around the league, I'm, I'm, telling, I'm talking about more in terms of analysts here, and it's starting to realize that hey, you know, the, you know, Denver team that doesn't have all their star players and you know trying to do what they have in Vic Fangio defense is starting to take shape. And I've, I know I've said this before, a Vic Fangio defense take time for it to be formidable. Look what he did with uh, with Chicago. Took them like two, three years, but that 2018 Bears defense was one of the best defenses of that season. So I'm telling you, this defense is starting to look good. There's two weeks left in the uh, NFL uh, trading process. I think week eight is the last week that uh, teams can trade. If Denver can pull off a win against Kansas City, I think that John Elway should go and try to get uh, you know, try to trade for uh, a star player from a losing team. You know, we can use a, a linebacker, a, a, a pretty good linebacker. I know uh, I, I answered this on Twitter yesterday that I think Van Der Esch would be a great pickup for, for Denver. They can get a, a pass rusher to help complement uh, uh, Bradley Chubb. I know Atachu's still dealing with a, a hamstring, and I don't know if he'll be able to get to go from for Sunday. And even if he is... With the bye week already gone, hamstring issues are, they can be lingering problems. So either a veteran pass rusher or, uh, you know, a linebacker, I think would help this team uh, tremendously. 
And or maybe we could turn the heads of players that didn't want to play for Denver at the start, like Clay Matthews or Terrell, or you know something. But John Elway would have to do something to kind of give this team even more motivation and more hope to say, hey, we're not beaten. We're not out of this yet. We can still make a playoff run. We can still make a walk hard. We could still, hell, we could even still go for the division if Denver can go on a winning streak. And it totally can happen. But in order for that to happen, we need the offense to start clicking and find their, you know, find their groove. The defense is already in a groove. We just need to help them keep it. We just have to hope that they keep it, keep the, you know, the touchdowns to a minimum, keep the field goals to a minimum, try to get turnovers and give the Broncos offense, you know, great playing, uh, playing uh, position for them to make those type of plays. And if they can do that, then, you know, the sky's the limit on how far this Denver defense and our Denver team, I should say, can go. But to, to kind of run up this whole uh, Bronco breakdown, I think that this win was definitely what the Broncos needed. I think it was a shot in the arm for every single one of those guys. They were more than motivated. The defense looked more than happy being out there and, you know, being able to get to the quarterback and making interceptions and causing those turnovers. And this is exactly what the Broncos needed. They just needed that uplift and to give everybody in our division, you know, notice that, hey, this team isn't going anywhere. This team is far from done, and this team can still come and kick your ass either at our house or at your house. So, you know, here's the hoping that uh, we can go in and get a win against Kansas City. So that's going to do it for today's episode. Uh, I want to apologize again for not uploading anything sooner last week, but I think that me gathering up all these notes and coming on here and rambling in front of you guys was, I think it was worth it, even though I know I held up a little bit. But uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for being so patient. Uh, as always, you can reach me on Twitter at a the number six ft one zero Mexican, all one word together. If you have questions uh, or you just want to follow me on Twitter, uh, if you want to send me comments, ideas, or suggestions about the show, you can email me at broncostalk2020 at gmail.com. If you're listening on Anchor and you want to be a monthly supporter, uh, monthly supporter, sorry. Uh, there should be a link on there where you can support the show. I really do appreciate it if you uh, decide to do so. And also, you can catch me, my friends Mike, Christy, and Glenn. We do a four-person Mile High Roundtable podcast on Thursdays. We go live on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. And there might be another one I might be forgetting. But you can always find me on Twitter there for more information on that. And again, thanks a lot for listening, guys. And so long from Broncos country.